What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This is my baby, and these two were just along riding my carpet, my carpet tail. Kevin Sherrington. I did not choose the dance life. It chose me. Barry Horn. You know what my intention is? When's the last time that anybody has ever asked you a question? No one's ever asked me a question. I'm married. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the Cowboys. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Welcome, everybody, into the Ballsy Sportscast Podcast Fishing cast, uh, acting cast. Uh, it is me, Kevin Sherrington. I am the only one other than Brian, the producer, in the studio today. So we're going to change the name of the show to the Kevin Sherrington Show. Uh, I've long wanted to do this. And joining me uh, via phone is our good friend, Johnny Matches, John Machota. John, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great now that I'm in control and have all this power. I, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm enthused. I'm, I'm infused with power now. It feels so great. Uh, I really enjoy it. John, we had a little event last weekend, uh, a three-day event, uh, the, uh, the NFL draft, and you were all over that draft. The first thing I want to ask you is, how did you do in your mock draft? No, terrible. But I, I, set, I set a really low bar on this anyway. This, when I saw all the... When I said all, when I saw the Mike Mayocks of the world uh, talking about and, and Mel Kuypers about how this is one of the hardest drafts they've ever predicted in the last you know fifteen twenty years, I felt a lot better about it. So I set my bar at five. If I got five picks right, I was going to be happy. Uh, so I got four. Um, well, tell the, us who the four the were. Who were the yeah, four? Yeah, I just I mean I got the I got the first three right, but I didn't have the trades in there. You know, I still had Trubisky. I felt like someone would trade up to get Trubisky at two, just as that. Yeah. The quarterbacks are overvalued every year, and this is a terrible quarterback class. I don't even. I, there's people that think it's average. I think it's a below-average quarterback class, but people still trade up. So I felt like Trubisky would go to, um, and uh, the, the only ones that I was really confident about were the running backs, with Christian McCaffrey going to uh, Carolina and Fournette going to Jacksonville. Those ones made a lot of sense, but uh, you know, the one that threw everybody off that I, ne- I mean, I, I probably looked at. 50 mock drafts in the last week. Nobody had three receivers going in the first nine picks. Uh, not, I, there weren't many. I, I can. I don't even think there was more than one or two that even had all receiver going in the top nine picks. So when those three went, it kind of changed a lot of stuff up real quick there. So yeah, that that really surprised me too. You know, because I know that uh, that you know they've said for years now that running backs aren't valued in the draft, but neither are wide receivers and. Uh, and I did think that those three were clearly the best wide receivers in the draft. Now, maybe that something will prove us wrong about that. But uh, but once those guys started going, I think people felt like they, they really, you know, I thought like the John Ross from, from Washington, uh, the fact that he ran a 4-2-2 in the 40 uh, at the combine, the fact that he had, what, he caught 18 touchdown passes, 19 touchdown passes last year for Washington. To have that kind of production and those kind of numbers – I I think he's going to be a star. Uh, so I I I'm really I wasn't surprised to see him go that high. Uh, but uh, you know, and I didn't you know Mike Williams. I think he's he's terrific. But uh, I didn't know much about uh, who was the third guy, Corey. Uh, Corey Davis. Corey Davis, yeah, Western Michigan. Yeah. 
Yeah, he, he'd been hurt. He didn't get to do his, didn't get to do the pro day. Uh, didn't get to do the combine. So there was just a lot of uncertainty there with with him. So I definitely didn't think he was going top ten. Yeah, but he did. Yes, he did. All right. So the the picks came down to, uh, and and I'm I want to just say this about myself, you know, because I didn't have a mock draft, but I did say I did write a column in which I said, what if it came down to let's say Taco Charlton or Tredavious White. And I don't know if you could, could, have, could have come any closer than I did to that prediction, considering the fact that White went the pick before. So let's say – so I'm, that's my pat on the back. So let's say <laughs> that, that White had been available for that pick. Would the Cowboys have gone that way? No, no. I think they were still going Taco Charlton. Um, I think they possibly might have even liked Kevin King a little bit more than Trey Davis White. And yeah. King was there. And that's who I really think it came down to. You know, I, I had mocked them – T.J. Watt, I had heard there were some people in the building that really liked T.J. Watt a lot, and then I heard there were others that just felt like he wasn't going to be a fit for them at all at defensive end, who's more of a 3-4 outside linebacker. So right. there's a part of me that's like, well, if he's the best pass rusher, adapt your system to your players. Um, but I understand that you know the coaches are going to uh, get the guys that are, are the best fit for their system. And, and where they were at, uh, it was Taco Charlton. You know, another guy I liked a lot was Tack McKinley, who ended up going uh, a few picks higher to Atlanta. Right. And the uh, Cowboys liked him a lot. He was another guy that came in, uh, one of their 29 pre-draft visits. And uh, Stephen Jones said after the draft that they, had a, they, they had, were made the same offer by Seattle that Atlanta ended up taking. So they could have traded up and taken Tack McKinley if they liked him enough. But they were like, no, we're going to wait. We still like guys that are on our board. So obviously that was Taco Charlton. So when he was there for them, I, I don't think there was uh, too much argument. I think they knew that that was going to be the guy that, that they were going to take. So Mel Kuyper said that Taco was a head-scratcher for him. I think that was the one pick. He felt like they did a great job with the rest of their draft. He, he didn't like that pick. And, and he didn't like the pick because he doesn't think he's a true edge rusher, that he's really more of a left defensive end, uh, a run stopper, a guy who can get a little bit of pressure. I, I can't argue with that. I think that's to me that's what he looks like. And, and I had to feel like – they like his versatility and the fact that probably he could play inside a little bit too. Uh, and maybe even put on a little, I don't know if they wanted to put on any weight or not, but he probably do it at two seventy five. What do what do you think is they, they feel like is their, uh, their goal for him? Yeah, he'll get to start at, at right defensive end, but I don't know. I agree with you. I don't know if that's where he's going to be at his absolute best. I mean, I think they'd like to work him in there because then you could move DeMarcus Lawrence back to left end where, where he's probably his best at. So, so that's the thing, you know, the, I can I completely understand why Mel Kiper would have questions about. It. I can I can understand why anybody would because uh, everybody wants you to get you know the premier pass rusher. Uh, it's it certainly didn't help things uh, when a week before when they do their pre-draft press conference they're also doing it right before is a Demarcus Ware goodbye press conference. So yeah. there's a lot of parallels about Demarcus Ware and you can't get Demarcus Ware at 28. It's just not going to happen. So that's one of those deals where it's like. Um, I, the talent is just not going to be there. I mean, if they would have moved up, that might have been different. But really, other than Miles Garrett, and and you know what? No, I'm just going to say just Miles Garrett. Other than Miles Garrett, and even him a little bit. But there were question marks on everybody else. So right. there wasn't many guys in there where you were like, well, if they got him, that everybody was gonna, it was going to be consensus. Just love the pick. So um, the the reason why I felt like it made it made the most sense is because. They kind of planned out, you know, they, they work on these different scenarios of what it's going to look like in the later rounds. And if you don't take Taco Charlton there, the defense, I mean, you could got Kevin King, it would, it would have been a nice addition, 6-3 corner. Uh, that's obviously what you would you would covet in this in this defensive scheme, and they would love that with all the needs they had in the defensive backfield. But if you if you take him there, 
just the drop-off at 60. And then, if, I mean, heck, if you waited even longer and waited to 92, um, you just, just the pass rush you'd get there I, I don't think is anything different than what you have already. So um, I think they planned that out. And, and just judging Taco Charlton pick right after it happened, I was kind of on the fence. I was like, ah, I give it a B, B minus. I don't, it doesn't really blow me away or anything like that. But then when you see what they got in the next two rounds to go with it, that, that was really impressive because I didn't think they'd be able to pull off the two corners they got with their next two picks. Yeah, I don't know. that. Uh, well, let me get to that in a minute. Uh, but uh, going back to Taco Charlton. So, to me, the, the thinking was, and I, and I agree with you, I, I didn't really wasn't blown away by the pick, but I really think that probably it was the right thing to do uh, because – uh, I, I think they view him as a rotational piece. This is a guy that you know we can add to the mix, and and he's a good athlete. Do you think? How do you think they view him athletically and his and his ceiling? Do they look like do they think he's better than Demarcus Lawrence? Do they think he's better than Randy Gregory? Do they think he's better than David Irving or or any of these other guys? I think they believe he's better than Demarcus Lawrence right now compared to where Demarcus Lawrence was as a rookie. Um, so I would say that. You know, having some years of experience, they'd probably rank Lawrence ahead of him. But Lawrence has dealt with back back uh, surgeries the last two off seasons, so it's also a health issue there too. Uh, you know, you need bodies out there as well, so you can sit there and plan for having you know Tyrone Crawford and Demarcus Lawrence out there and, and David Irving and uh, Malik Collins and Charles Tapper. But you know, there, there's a lot of these guys have had injuries, so uh, you want to have you want you have to add another guy in the mix because you're you're trying to come with an eight man rotation there, so. They're going to give him every chance to start um, at, at right end, which is the that's for your quicker pass rusher, which he really isn't. So right. the way he has to win is he has to win with his length. He has to win with his long arms. He's six six, uh, the big build. You know that's how he's got to win. He's not going to be able to just speed rush you like a Von Miller, like a Demarcus Lawrence, like a Khalil Mack. You know so. But again, like that guy wasn't going to be there at twenty eight. So unless you're going to try and trade up, and I saw a trade chart that came out. Um, uh, after the draft, it was a, kind of a composite over the last 10 years of trades, factoring what it would have cost you know, a team if you want to move to a certain position. And basically, if it, on that trade chart, if, if the Cowboys wanted to trade up to get Miles My- Garrett, you'd be talking about three first-round picks. Yeah. Because they would have to be low end of the first round, you know, because if they're going to make that deal, they're thinking the Cowboys are going to be pretty good for the next few years. They're not going to trade first-round picks, that, I mean, uh, you know, second, third-round picks, they're going to be late in the round. So it basically would be the equivalent of three first-round picks. So, yeah, Taco Charlton's not Miles Garrett, but do you want to give up three Taco Charlton's for one Miles Garrett? I mean, that's kind of the thing that you you, you deal with there. So um, I, I just felt like he was the best of the guys left over. But, yeah, I wouldn't expect him to come in right away and get 10 sacks this year. I mean, if he got six or seven, I think they should be pleased with that. Yeah, I think they would be absolutely pleased with that. Yeah, this is this draft, you know, when I look at it, was remarkable about it. Is it not only that they did well, which, and, you know, if it, these guys do turn out like we think they will, um, that this is back-to-back good drafts for Jerry, which is, you know, almost, you know, uh, uh, unspeakable you know they, they, he's gone through his history where they, they've had some decent drafts here and there uh, and uh, certainly early on they did but in the post Jimmy area era they haven't had that so um, it was not only that he he had a, appeared to have a good draft but he was so patient about it you know they, that they that he didn't try to get everything done in one year I, I felt like that that he looked at this draft like we're adding pieces we need to have and this is just part of the process, as, as Jason Garrett would tell us, that next year, um, if we have a better opportunity or a better pick, we'll go for the home run that time. Uh, but but we, don't, we don't have that opportunity now, so we're going to just play with what we have. 
Yeah, I think the big shift came in, in 2014. That was the most obvious one. When they didn't take Johnny Manziel, that's when you start thinking, when they took Zach Martin, you know, he might be listening to the other guys in the room a lot more than we think. Right. And then later, and you end up finding out that was the case. And these picks the last few years, they certainly speak to that too. <clears throat> the only gamble I really think that they've taken uh, in these last few drafts is really Jalen Smith early in the second round. Right. And they are adamant that because their their team doctor, Dr. Cooper, did the surgery, that, that he was going to be able to return. So, you know, on the outside, maybe it seems like more of a gamble than it seemed to them. But that's really been the only one where I've really been uh, real surprised by, by a pick that they've made. The other ones have been pretty much by the book. I mean, I was actually really surprised after – so after each day of the draft, they do a press conference uh, kind of wrapping up the day. And so after they take Taco Charlton, you know, Stephen, Jerry, and Jason, we, we you know, we're talking to them. And, 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 and Stephen and, and Jerry are just – they don't even. They're adamant that they're that they're going after defensive backs next. And I'm just thinking to myself, how many teams would do this in the NFL? Just basically tell you, right. yeah, we know there's a lot of good defensive backs, and yeah, we're not picking until 60. It's going to be a few hours, you know, but uh, into the second round. But no, that's that's cool. Um, we're gonna get uh, we're gonna we're gonna get the best defensive back there. And I'm just thinking, I mean, wouldn't you just want to lie a little bit? And yeah, that, you know, yeah, oh, absolutely. Be available, and they really didn't. And that's why it really surprised me that some of the players that fell with them because I think it. They made it pretty known to everybody that, hey, we're taking the best offensive back that's available, <laughs> and that's what they did. So I can't believe that they called their shot like that and, and didn't trade up on top of it and then still end up getting some pretty good players. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the the Awuzie pick was uh, um, you know everybody you, you read, everybody you talk to, well, you know, I didn't see him play very much uh, at Colorado, but they, they say that that's just a terrific pick, that he's, that he's going to be able to walk right in. He's a smart kid, could play safety or corner. Uh, you know, to me, that sounds like a first-round draft pick, but you know, uh, uh, certainly it sounds like Byron Jones, doesn't it? It does. It does. He has a lot of that same versatility. He even played a little bit of linebacker when he was at uh, Colorado. So I actually, in my mock draft, I had him as the last pick in the first round. I'm going to the Saints. Uh, they needed a corner, and I thought that he might be the sixth or seventh corner off the board. And uh, uh, you know, they ended up going five in the first round, and then five in the second round. He was the last of the five in the second round to go, and, and I felt like, depending on, you know, what team saw, and that's the thing about this draft at, at defensive backs, a lot of people would say that that corner that you're going to get at, at four or five might not be any better than the corner that you get at the 12th or 13th best corner. So right. there could have been teams that had Woozie A ranked as maybe the 15th corner. There might have been some teams in this draft that had him ranked as the third best corner. Now, you know, Stephen Jones says, that they got five of the top 68 players on their board. So, obviously, every team doesn't rank their players the exact same. Um, and he, they had a second-round grade on Awuzie. So, um, you know, and then the same thing with the third-round pick, Jordan Lewis. So, Jordan Lewis, Awuzie, and Taco Charlton they get, they all had second-round grades uh, on their board. You know, that's an interesting uh, uh, thought about uh, how many of your top guys, and, and, and why he chose the, the number 68, I don't know. I guess because the fifth guy was the 68th pick. Um, but uh, to, I wonder what that percentage compares like with other teams, other clubs, and what they've, uh, organizations, and what they've done uh, in the draft, and how that compares with the Cowboys' pass, for that matter. Do you have any idea? Yeah, and I, I don't, but then I also don't think that all these teams tell you the exact truth too you know they're going to make they want to make their they want to make their draft sound better than it is i mean they're one of the big controversies for me i hasn't really been made into a big deal i guess because we've just kind of moved on to the next day and it wasn't whatever but you know we had been told that kevin king was had a similar grade to taco charlton and so that they were 
it was a debate between those two. But then by Saturday, or I'm sorry, by Friday, they were saying that there were um, there was only one player with a first round grade left when they picked Taco, and it wasn't Kevin King; it was a running back. And so I later found out that that was Dalvin Cook. Um, hmm. So I figured I don't that know was King too. Changed. Yeah, I didn't know if they changed their what they what the you know the message because it was kind of damage control because you don't want to go two years from now, three years from now, and, and, and having everyone always comparing what Kevin King does to what Taco Charlton does. Um, but yeah. I, I find it I find it hard to believe that Taco that Taco Charlton and Kevin King weren't very close on their board just from things I had heard before the draft, and then things we heard right after the draft. So um, you know, I'm just saying like. Maybe it wasn't really the top 68. Maybe that's just rounding it off or whatever. But I'm sure most teams would, would say after the draft, in, in a post-draft press conference, they would be pretty favorable about the players they got. They're not, I, I, I can't imagine a press conference where they're like, you know, this didn't go well at all. Oh, we screwed we this the up. players that we wanted to. <laughs> I don't know what this class is. You know, I mean, that GM's fired the next day if that happens. Which, which has already happened, uh, by, yeah, by the way. Yeah. That's bizarre. bizarre. Crazy, very crazy. Now, you're a Michigan guy, so they end up with two guys from Michigan in this uh, um, in this uh, draft class. So, you know, you must have inside scoop on on Taco and on Jordan Lewis. So, so what is it? Yeah, no, I mean, I I'm not a Michigan fan by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but most of my friends. So, uh, the thing on Taco. That's one that everyone points out to me all the time is that it just the production all came late. So everyone thinks that the arrow is going up on him because he wasn't a guy that really played a ton the first three years. He was in the rotation, but he didn't become a starter to the till this past uh, senior year. And then he really didn't turn it on until the last five or six games. And really, it's, so he had ten sacks this past season. So it's ten sacks over his last ten games, and he really turned it on late again and, and against some of their best competition. His two best games are probably the Ohio State game, and then the Florida State Bowl game. So, uh, you know, he was very productive. And But the thing is, you, you also wonder, okay, so in those games, was he just turning on because this, he knew he was going to the draft and that this is his last chance to prove his stock? Was he going against bad players on the other team's offensive line? Or is everything just starting to click for him? So if you ask like anybody back from Michigan, they just think that it's starting to click for him and that, you know, he's only – He's only starting to scratch the surface that you're going to see even better ball ahead of him. Now, the Lewis kid, I can tell you from watching, he's another one, though, that I feel like he played some of his best ball in some big games. Um, he got beat on the game-winning touchdown uh, in the uh, in the Orange Bowl on a, on a jump ball. He just didn't turn his head around fast enough on the game winner. But other than that, I mean, he's been their best corner. It was kind of funny that uh, – Nationally, all you ever heard about from Michigan's defensive backfield is Jabril Peppers. You know, end up being a right. Heisman finalist, and he's the flashy guy that's playing on both sides of the ball. And everybody I know that knows that that I I'm confident in their abilities to judge football back in Michigan said Jordan Lewis is by far the better cover guy. You know, it's just that he wasn't being used on offense and returning kicks and things like that. But if you're looking for a cover corner, Jordan Lewis was their best guy, and that was obviously evident because you know he was one of the three Thorpe finalists, and the other two were Dory Jackson, first round pick. And then uh, the guy you mentioned earlier, Tredavious White, who was another first-round pick. So, I mean, he was up there for, you know, the best defensive back in the country this past year. So, you know, if it isn't for the off-the-field uh, domestic violence charge, uh, then I, I find it hard to believe that he doesn't go early second round, maybe mid-second round. Yeah, I read somewhere, I don't remember, this was uh, uh, Tom McShay who said this, but he said about Jordan Lewis that he thought he gave up less separation than, than any other cornerback in the draft. 
Yeah, McShay loves him. McShay thinks he's the best uh, slot cover corner in, in the entire draft, too. So, um, I mean, he, I can see him coming in right away and contributing as, as their slot corner. I, I think he's going to play a lot uh, um, immediately as long as everything goes the way he says it's going to go uh, with his trial that, that comes up in July. So uh, I, I totally think he's going to be a guy that comes in and he's an immediate contributor uh, in the slot. And, but, I mean, he does have the ability to play on the outside, too, which is he's a little bit of a smaller guy. And his best work is probably done in the slot. Yeah, You know, and I don't want to uh, comment too much about the, the domestic violence charge. I've read about it, and I've read what the comments were, and I've read what the police report and all of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, these kind of things all need to be vetted and investigated, and, uh, and whatever needs to be done needs to be done. But I will say this. It's not a Joe Mixon uh, kind of incident. So uh, at, at least there's that. Uh, so I, I didn't have a problem with the Cowboys taking him uh, in the third round. I, I th- from what I could read, it didn't seem as quite, uh, the, you know, the issue that maybe it's been in some, uh, some other cases where we've had these kind of things alleged uh, against athletes. Um, the, uh, so when, uh, when they made this, uh, when they made these decisions, uh, well, let me ask you this, first of all, about Orlando Skandrick. I almost forgot that question. You mentioned Orlando a minute ago. There was a, there was a report during the draft that Orlando was, uh, going to be traded for a third round pick. Was there anything to that? Uh, yeah, no, a source told, uh, our Brandon George that that was, that was, there was, that was the, uh, that was the pick that was being floated out there. Um, now, people in the Cowboys organization completely deny that, uh, especially the part about the third-round pick. Um, they said that they were never shopping when he was in a trade block, but um, I don't feel as they think that they really were ever going to get a third-round pick for a 30-year-old cornerback who's dealt with injuries recently. So that might have been a little bit high, but I can't sit here and say that there was no talk at all. I mean, uh, I, I don't know that to be true. You have one side saying that um, – uh, that they that they didn't say anything about it, but then clearly there are sources from uh, out there that are saying that it did. Orlando uh, has said on on the on the record too in a couple of interviews that he believes that they have as well. So um, the interesting thing about all, all of the Scandrick talk for me is that if you have a veteran guy in your room um, with a bunch of young corners, you're going to want a guy that's going to you know, kind of maybe help mentor these younger guys and stuff like that. And I don't know if Orlando Scandrick can do that after hearing that he was potentially up for being traded and these guys are going to be the ones that are going to be taking his job. That's just right. not really his DNA to just go out of his way and just, uh, you know, show these guys the ropes. I'm sure he'll he'll do some stuff, but I don't know if it's gonna. he's really going to be totally going out of his way. And now they're in a situation where what do you do uh, other than try and smooth this thing over? But uh, the writing was clearly on the wall that it's a possibility when you're sitting there drafting three corners and a safety and, you know, you're pretty much across the board getting younger in the defensive backfield. So, um, so yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's everything that I know. Well, it's a, it's a very, yeah, it's a very odd situation. Cause here's the thing, you know, I get that you, okay. You think that Jordan Lewis can play the slot, you know, as Todd McShay says, he's the best slot corner in the draft and that's, and that's all well and good. But it's the one area where you you still have a veteran on the team, and and I, I'm a big believer that you need to have somebody back there with some experience who can who can run things, and maybe some of these guys can. You know, maybe Byron Jones is going to step up and be that kind of guy now. Maybe you know, maybe a Well, they signed that kind Nolan Carroll. They signed Nolan Carroll in the off season, and and they compare him a little bit to Brandon Carr. He's another you know a veteran guy who's you know played with the Eagles, and and you know, I mean he's not. 
he's not some guy that's going to get you five or six interceptions, but he's going to be solid for you, and they look at him as kind of a veteran presence. But I agree with you as, as well, though, on Skandrick, though. I mean, his best position is, is in the slot, and uh, if he's healthy, he's one of the best slot corners in, in the league. So uh, why wouldn't you want to keep that around? But then again, there could be guys in the organization, uh, coaches or whatnot, that maybe want to go younger in that defensive backfield. I mean, it certainly is a young man's position back there, uh, especially when the big problem with the with like a guy like Morris Claiborne is that he just he wasn't available. He was always injured, and you need guys out there. So you know, going younger at the position makes a lot of sense. It just it's one of those positions that you very rarely see guys playing at a very high level into their thirties. Oh, absolutely. So if we uh, if we're looking at uh, you know, of course they haven't had an OTA yet, but if we're looking at um, you know day one, who do you think is starting in the secondary? I would go with if they were going to play a game today, I'd say Scandrick's in the slot. I always I always my starting lineup is always in nickel. I never right. I never go with their traditional three linebackers. They because they very rarely do that. Um, so I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with five, five defensive backs. I'm going to go with, uh, Skandrick in the slot. I'm going to go with Anthony Brown on the outside. And I'm going to go with Nolan Carroll. If I absolutely, absolutely have to start right now, I'm not going to have any of the, uh, the rookies in there yet. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of them won one of those jobs during training camp or if Skandrick has moved, obviously that changes things. And then at safety, I still think, uh, it's Byron Jones and Jeff Heath. Uh, the Xavier Woods kid that they draft, that they traded back in a draft in the sixth round uh, as a guy they like a lot. He is one of those guys that um, I'm confident was one of the top 68 players on their board. He's one of their pre-draft visitors, a guy that I, I when I did a seven-round mock, I mocked him going to the Cowboys in the third round because I just knew that they were a big fan of him. He'll compete, but they really like Jeff Heath a lot, and so they're going to give him every chance, I think, to win that starting spot and kind of work Woods in behind them. So I would go with the veterans right now. I wouldn't put in any rookies, but if one of them just tears it up, or like I said, if they move Skandrick, then everything changes. You know, I don't want to gloat about this, but I, I asked, and maybe it was Brandon George I asked this question on the podcast, about uh, you think that they would like Jeff Heath as a starter, and, and he pretty much chuckled at that. Uh, and, and I you know, I know that when Jeff Heath was forced to play a couple of years ago and earlier in his career, he got burned a few times and and uh, it didn't look good. But in the few times he got to play last year, I thought he looked really good. Not just the Green Bay game, but but other times he he really seemed to have a knack for finding the ball. The Green Bay game is the one that for the Cowboys that has really like sealed the deal for them. And that's why I give him the edge to start because they really like what he did in that game. That really caught their eye. And uh, definitely early on in his career, he had some games. The one against Detroit uh, stands out to me where uh, he just looked overmatched. But he has been one of those guys that has steadily improved. And they, and they well, and the other thing is, too, they love him on special teams. But he has steadily improved to the point where if he didn't, he wouldn't still be on the roster. But he's been kind of one of those guys that in a secondary that hasn't really ca- caused many turnovers. He's kind of been in the spot to kind of make some plays like that. And it's just one of those things that either guys got it or they don't. And he seems to have a little bit of that. But it remains to be seen. Uh, it's way different if you're playing 35 snaps a game compared to playing the entire game. Right. You know? So right. some guys are at their best, man, if you give them 35 snaps, and, and, and they're going to give you 35 of their best snaps. But if you have to spread it out throughout the entire game and he's playing you know, 50 or 60, uh, then maybe his play drops off on certain plays. But they're going to give him every chance to show uh, that he can do that back there. So um, I, 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 the special teams things kept him on the team, but his steady improvement at the position – and then, obviously, 
you know, Barry Church just got paid more than they were willing to pay has really just opened the door uh, for Jeff Heath to, to get a starting spot. All right, I'm, I'm going to let you go here, John, in just a minute, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't go ahead and ask you this question because I have said this many times that Jalen Smith will continue to be the story to watch in the offseason uh, as he regains feeling in his foot and his toes, which to me, this whole thing is a very scary thing. I couldn't imagine being that player, and the fact that he is lifting his toes after all this time is considered such a victory. I mean, that that is that just seems horrifying to me, but – what do you, do you know? Do you have any reason to believe that that he is in any any closer to playing than he was before? Yeah, no, he's definitely he's definitely closer to playing, and I think he if they were going to play uh, right now, he would be able to play. Uh, he'd have to wear the brace though, and I, that's going to limit him, and and that's going to put him in a position where I, I question just because I've never seen anybody do it before and play at a high level. He, he is a freak athlete, so I guess the way I could kind of describe it it would be like um if uh let me think of a good example here uh if at this point in his career if Dirk had that injury and was trying to come back from it and LeBron James had an injury there'd be a lot of people telling you like well LeBron's gonna have to wear this brace and he's not gonna be LeBron like right now but he's gonna be still one of the better players in the NBA because he's such a freak athlete well that's kind of where where Jalen Smith is yeah most guys they would be they wouldn't even they wouldn't even be telling you that, yeah, he's going to be a major contributor in it. But he's just so athletic, and he's just, he's so, he just looks the part. And he is really what you would draw if you want to draw up the, like the perfect linebacker in today's NFL. So for him, I guess, I guess the thing is that even with playing the brace, they still feel like he could be a very, very solid contributor. Now, if he gets to the point where he gets more feeling back and, and, and they feel, from what I've heard, that it, is, it has been a uh, constant improvement and it hasn't dropped off, and they're seeing more and more recently. So if it gets to the point by we're looking at September, he's playing without that brace, and he gets anywhere near the player that he was at Notre Dame, then you have an absolute game-changer on defense, and you have a defense that is going to be markedly better, even losing the guys that they did, because he's just one of the, they just have very few guys like that on their defense, and they've had very few guys since DeMarcus Ware left that are just, you know, other teams just have to game plan for. So if he gets anywhere near that, and that's just—I mean—that's an absolute steal right there because they got him early in the second round, and that's a top-five player right there. And you know, I, from talking to some people uh, that were in the organization during the draft, uh, they said that they wouldn't trade him for a first-round pick this year. So, really? Yeah. So. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I mean, is that, he? I mean, they're 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 excited about him, but I mean, I just I kind of I I feel like. They should temper expectations because they're just putting a lot on this kid's shoulder. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. What is it now? And, and help me out here: is they, do they consider him more of a middle or an outside linebacker? I think. Well, he could play middle or he could play weak side. But with Sean Lee and, and the production he's had at weak side, then Jalen's going to have to be in the middle because they're not going to do anything. They're not going to do anything to move uh, Sean Lee. No, so, no, no, um, no. And really, what it comes down to is, is like I like I said earlier, like I really don't even think of it as the the base four three defense because yeah. they're in it so True. little. It's going to be one of those things where um, you're going to have him out there uh, in nickel when it's just him and Sean Lee as your linebackers all the time. But what is interesting is that if he gets back to that player he was at Notre Dame, then you don't. There's going to be a lot less times I feel that they're going to be in dime because you're going to want two linebackers because you're not taking Sean Lee off the field and you're not going to take Jalen Smith off the field. Right. He's too athletic. Yeah. Like he can run with these bigger tight ends and some of these bigger, uh, um, uh, more athletic running backs and things like that. I mean, he's 
if he gets back to that player he was at Notre Dame, yeah, you're not going to, you don't want to take Jalen Smith off the field on any down. You want him out there as much as possible. But that still remains to be seen. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. That is by far the biggest offseason storyline. But I will say this I don't know if we'll even be able to tell you that much about it just off these mini camps and OTAs. It really isn't going to be till training camp when you start putting some pads on and they start hitting. Are you going to really even know that much about Jalen? Because a lot of the stuff that they're going to do these next few weeks is not that. Uh, it's stuff that we kind of similarly seen him do right. uh, in workout stuff off to the side. I mean, he was doing a lot of stuff during training camp last year, just off to the side. So, I mean, until the pads come on and he's actually hitting and you actually see him have to, you know, get off of blocks and things like that, I, I don't think you're really going to know. But, you know, the Cowboys say that you know, there's just this steady improvement that, and, and that's coming from the doctors. That's not just them, you know, just watching him. That's the doctors doing tests on him and that they can prove that he's, gaining back, uh, you know, some rejuvenation in the nerve. Yeah, that's the thing for me in this whole issue. That the only thing that would give me any hope uh, as a Cowboy fan that they could do this is the fact that it was their doctor who made the recommendation. You know, and, and because anything else would be, oh, you could imagine Jerry just hoping because that's just what he does. He's optimistic to a fault and that this could happen. But when, it, but it's, when you're, it's your doctor who performed the procedure – well, then that, that should, if you're taking his advice, and that, that should give it a little more credence. John, it's great having you on. I appreciate it. Great stuff. Thanks for coming in. Well, you didn't come in, but you, you, you called in, or we called you, and we appreciate that. Uh, it's been great. I want, I want to get your thoughts about the, the quality of the questions you got today as opposed to what you usually get from this, uh, from this studio. Uh, I think probably the, the, the intelligence quotient went way up. We didn't have Barry in here to uh, – to klutz into something and and evan evan's usually asleep at this time anyway so it's a it probably didn't make a whole lot of difference then i i would say it's normally a solid a and today it was definitely an a plus ah there we go good stuff all right john thanks for coming on man we'll see you next time sounds good man thanks for having me there goes john machota uh one of our favorites He's come a long way since he arrived here at the Dallas Morning News. Uh, just a scared kid out of Michigan, shivering at our doorstep. We took him in. We nourished him. We brought him along. And, and now look who he is today. It's unbelievable how that's all gone. So that's our Cowboys podcast. Uh, we will have also a colleges podcast with our good friend Chuck Carlton. And we'll check in with the Rangers with Evan Grant, who is down in Houston for that Astro series where the Rangers are already stinking it up. Uh, a, a bad performance on Monday night after taking a lead and, and uh, screwing that up. So this is Kevin Sherrington. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.